0: The Lord calls His people to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock. Amen. in heaven we praise you and we thank you. We lift up your great name and proclaim your goodness on this the Lord's day, a day that you have set aside for your people to worship you, to devote our energies and our hearts, the words of our mouths, the meditations of our minds to be wholly given over to you in worship and praise. Lord we thank you that you give us this day that we might look upon your beauty in the gospel. And we pray that you would lift up our hearts and wake our sleepy minds, that we might not take lightly being in the presence of the Almighty, the King. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased in this hour of worship to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that we might hear and believe the gospel, open our eyes that we might see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. We pray, Lord, that we would add our voices to the voices of heaven that you might receive all the glory that is due your name. And we add our voices now to those who on this day will pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven,
1: hallowed be thy thy name.
0: Thy kingdom come, thy Thy will be done, on earth as it is is in heaven. Give Give us this day day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith, there is a promise in this worship service, as there is each Sunday as we gather as God's people, that the Lord pardons the sins of His people who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. (coughs) Hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon from the book of James, chapter 4. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord now by singing together hymn number 486, God be merciful to me. at this time for the children's sermon. Well, good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all. Well, I'm going to do something to you that I've never been able to do, but always was the recipient of. Uh, in school, did anybody remember to bring a verse with you today? Oh, wonderful. Well, I'll, let, me, let me take them, and we're going to, if you won't mind, I'm going to read them. Anybody else? You have one, too, Olivia? Thank you. So, uh, last week, thank you, parents, for bearing with me. Uh, last week, we started a new series for our children's sermons on honor. And let me ask you, just before I read, can anybody tell me, just briefly, What is honor? What does honor mean? Like, like uh,
2: honor your parents and do everything
0: good. Honor your parents and do everything good. Yes, James. <laughs> honor the
2: people who are above you.
0: Honor the people who are above you, Titus. Respect them. Respect them, Katie. Do what they say. Do what they say. Yes, okay. Honor
2: they say. I'm
0: going to give you a spanking. Okay, I deserve it. I don't know if you heard that or saw the sad face, but uh, Samuel said if they say they're going to give you a spanking, you say, okay, I deserve it. <laughs> so, from Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. By your will they were created, and to you they belong. Wonderful. Revelation chapter 4, 11. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord thy God has commanded you. And then two others. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. And then from Romans chapter 16, 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Thank you all so much for bringing these verses. I wanted to talk with you today about how you honor. And I think these are really good, helpful examples and if you would if you didn't remember one today maybe write one down this week and bring it next Sunday so we can read it together I want to ask you this morning about how you do honoring how do you honor your father and mother Um, maybe as Samuel said you say okay I deserve a spanking when you do something that's wrong but in Isaiah chapter 29 there's something interesting that the prophet says that God says to his people he says these people draw near to me with their mouths They say, we love you, God. We will be your people. But then he says, they have removed their hearts far from me. And they teach as commandments the instructions of men. So, do we honor God or honor our parents simply with our mouths? Is that the only way? We
2: honor them with our spirit.
0: With our spirit, with our heart. So as you obey, as you worship the Lord, as you proclaim, I belong to Jesus, he belongs to me, it's not just that you say it, it's not like there's a magical phrase and now we have God on the hook, he's our debtor. It means that as we say, I belong to Jesus, we're praying, Lord, keep my heart and constrain it to you, that I would not sin against you. So I want to pray for you this morning that the Lord would help you this week, this week, to honor Him and to obey Him in the way that you treat one another, in the way that you treat your parents, and the way that you think about God and how to obey Him. Let me pray for you. Our Father in Heaven, I thank You for our covenant children. I thank You for their love for Your Word and the way they demonstrate it and how they are able to answer difficult questions here on Sunday mornings. Lord, I thank You for the verses that they came and shared that we might talk about what it means to honor You. And Lord, we have to begin by confessing we don't honor you the way that we should we are people that are run about in our own hearts with idols there are things that we want more than your glory and so we pray lord this morning for ourselves for our covenant children that that you would heal our hearts that you would help us in our weakness i pray lord that you would show our children this week the joy and delight of obedience in your presence that they would know what it means to honor their parents and thereby honoring you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for them, for the blessing they are in our homes and also in our church family. We thank you, Lord, that you have filled this church with covenant children. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. At this time, we're also uh, going to... Um, installed one other officer for the women in the church that we were not able to uh, a couple weeks ago now, and I wanted to ask if Ms. Deb Stuck would please uh, come forward. We just have a, a couple of questions to ask Deb as she is being installed as a women in the church officer, and I uh, just want to point out too that this is uh, certainly a labor of love. As, as Deb serves our, uh, our congregation and serves our ladies. So Deb, I have a couple questions for you, and then I have a, a question for our ladies in the church. And Deb, do you <coughs> believe in the, in the Bible that it is God's Word in both the Old and the New Testament as our only instruction for life? Do you? Yes. And do you now undertake the work of the women in the church to the, to the position you've been called, that you will do so to the best of your ability to honor the Lord? Yes. All right. Ladies, I have a question for you also. As women in the church, do you promise to offer to Deb all love, encouragement, prayer, and obedience as unto the Lord in the job that she is doing? Do you? Okay. Well, Deb, I have just a brief charge for you before I pray for you. Uh, the say that I uh, offer to the ladies, uh, it's from Psalm 119, verse 11. And it says that we are to hide God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. And I want to encourage you, Dale, to love the Lord's word as you serve his church faithfully, and you have for many years, that you would in this new year see the Lord's work in your life, that you would love his word, and that you would hide it in your heart that that would be the overflow that you share from as you serve in our church. I'll pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for the many gifts that you have blessed this church with. You are faithful to care for us to provide those who serve and lay her in our midst. I pray, Lord, for Deb, that you would fill her with your spirit to do the work that you have laid before her. I pray for her that she would know your peace and your presence and the things that she does, that she would sense your delight. And I pray, Lord, that she would lean upon you as she helps to lead in this area in the women's ministry, that it would be from places of humility and strength that you cause her to be a chosen vessel serving you here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, (laughs) God. Parents, thank you again for these verses. And certainly we will be looking at more over the next few weeks. If you you, uh, think of it, to have your children write down a verse about honor in the Bible. We will continue to look at it. For our responsive reading this morning, we're going to read Psalm 26. It's on page 792, Psalm 26, on page 792. I'll begin with the light portion, if you would please respond out loud together with the bold. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have Lord Test me, O Lord, and try me; examine my heart and my mind.
2: Your love is ever me, and I walk in your truth.
0: I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I the universe, and refuse to sit with the
2: wicked.
0: I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. the you give, Lord, the place
2: where your glory tells.
0: Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men. In hands are things, whose right hands are
2: full of wrath.
0: But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me.
2: My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly,
0: I will praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together now. Take the insert in your bulletin as we sing together Come, ye sinners. <laughs> we um... Southwards commands us to pray for those who are in positions of leadership over us. As I mentioned earlier in our announcement time, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and throughout the United States, churches will be praying that the image of God in man and women will be honored in the way that our decisions of our government and officials are, are being made. And so I want to pray for them today. I also want to pray for those in our midst Um, who may be spiritually sick, who are struggling with believing the gospel, maybe who are uh, walking away from the Lord in some unrepentant sin. So let's go to the Lord together now in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you with hearts that are heavy, We just sang a song about coming to you, and we sang the gospel to one another. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Lord, we acknowledge in your presence that we do not stand here with our heads held high because of any righteousness of our own, but we do come as sinners in your presence. Save for the grace of God, we would have no reason to assume or to even believe that you would hear us pray. But because of your precious son, Jesus, we come into your presence. And as your word encourages us, we come boldly, praying for grace and mercy in time of need. Lord, we lift up to you those who are in positions of authority in our government, in our federal government, in our state and local governments. We pray, Lord, lifting them up to you, praying that you would work in their hearts, that on this day as we recognize the sanctity of human life, that you, the creator God, made man in your own image, male and female, we pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of our officials in Fairfield County, in South Carolina, in Washington, D.C., that you would turn their hearts to you, that as they make decisions with the powers that you have given them in places of authority, that those decisions would honor you. Lord, we do pray, as our own Presbyterian Church in America petitioned in a humble way our our own federal government, that gender reassignment surgeries on young children would cease in our land, that you would turn the hearts of your people back to you first, and that you would also change our nation, that you would change the way that politics is done, And Lord, I have to confess, even praying those words, there's cynicism in my own heart. How can you turn a ship that seems to be so running aground? And yet we come to you as the God of the universe who may do all things. And you do according to your own pleasure. And so we cry out to you, Lord. Be merciful to us sinners. And Lord, I do pray for those in our midst, in our congregation, who may be struggling under a weight of sin, who would acknowledge before you, by your grace, that they are struggling in sin, that they would call upon the name of the Lord, that they would know that you are a good and loving Heavenly Father who heals our diseases, who binds up broken hearts. Lord, I pray that you would comfort each of us Remind us of your presence in our lives, in our homes, in this church. Lord, I pray that we would turn our hearts to you and not inwardly on ourselves. And may we know truly the blessing of repenting of our sins, that times of refreshing may be known in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles uh, this morning to the Old Testament book of Amos chapter 5. We're going to read this morning uh, verse 16 to 27. Amos chapter 5 verses 16 to 27. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, says this, There shall be wailing in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmer to mourning, and skilled lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark, with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings... And your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? You also carried Sikath, your king, and Shehan, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. You might remember last week, we began Amos 5 with a lament from Amos the prophet. It was a funeral song for the nation of Israel because they had turned their back on God and on one another. God spoke through Amos that judgment indeed was coming upon his people Israel and there would be no one to help. I wonder if you've noticed the the numbers, the mere figures of it in the passage that we read last week. Did you notice that he was telling God's people, 90% of you will not make it? He gives two different times in verse three. The city that goes out by a hundred, excuse me, by a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. Ninety percent casualty in the devastation that is coming. And only ten percent remain. Even in this message of devastation, though, God told them through the prophet Amos, seek God and live. Seek good and not evil. Repent. Is not our God a God who hears the cries of repentance? Does he not yet have grace to pour out upon his people? But Israel was so relaxed and so comfortable, so prosperous, and so blessed by their heavenly Father, their Creator God, that they were certain In their hearts, this message is for someone else. They were thinking, Amos, right message, wrong address. And maybe on some Sundays you think, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this sermon. (laughs) And maybe they thought that too. Their minds and their hearts were so twisted, they exalted self far above the God of heaven. They didn't blink at His judgment and they didn't lose sleep over the injustice that they poured out on one another. So this morning, this sermon is entitled, Let Justice Roll Down. That's what God was calling to His people to do. He was still calling them to repentance, though He was telling them here by the prophet Amos, I will bring judgment if you repent. I will accept, but it must be a full repentance. It must be real repentance, not just words from your lips, but your hearts must be broken over sin. You must mourn and weep, not as a show. It's not entertainment. You must weep before the living God for offending against His holy laws. So this morning, as we look at this passage briefly, three headings. Number one. They were deaf and blind to their own injustice. Number two, self-deception in Israel was real. And number three, they were totally overrun by presumptuous sins in their own hearts. So number one, they were deaf and blind to their own injustice. To give someone justice means that you give them what they are due. As God's people, To give God justice as his children, we owe him all worship, allegiance, and honor and obedience. And there is no end. There is not a time when you can say, I did it. To give another person, your neighbor, a brother or a sister, their due is to love them. And so when God's people heard the word read to them from Deuteronomy chapter 6, it was known in Israel as the Shema. Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And God's people heard those words. They recited them and they reveled in them. And they said, We're good. I've done that. Don't you remember I was at church last Sunday? Don't you remember I even came Sunday night? When they heard read in Leviticus chapter 19 verses 15 to 18 that you shall not hate your brother nor lie to him nor spread a bad report about him among your neighbors for he is your brother fear the Lord your God. They thought surely God is pleased with me and if there is anything wrong that I've done certainly he will make a curve for me. Certainly he will grade on the curve for me, but just in case, I'll find something extra to do to make up for the bad that I've done because certainly God will let the good that I've done outweigh the bad. There's a subtlety here in Israel, that I, and I wonder if you catch it. It's a subtlety that says their self-image and their identity was so exalted that it tinted the lenses of their eyes for everything that they saw. Their rose colored glasses told them, I'm okay with God. He's okay with me. I can treat my neighbor how I want because I'm actually the most important person in the room, no matter what room I'm in. And so I can justify the way I treat people or the way I talk to them or the way that I don't talk to them because I am important. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from sin. And it seems that those in Israel would beat their own chest and say, I can. That's me. They were deaf and blind to their own injustice. Number two, self-deception in Israel and in homes and in hearts was real. In verses 18 to 20, the prophet Amos cries out to them and says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. It was as if people went to one another, talking about the day of the Lord, talking about end times, and there was an excitement in their voice. You could see it on their face. Did you hear it? It's coming. And I cannot wait. Because finally, we are going to be recognized for the people of God that we are. Finally, we will get what we are due. And we will be exalted among the heathens around us. And Amos says there will be devastation on every level of society. In this society, there were people who were professional mourners they were paid to weep and to wail. You might remember this when Lazarus was dead in the New Testament. Or they thought he was dead in the New Testament. There were people who were outside wailing and weeping. It was was part of the the way that they mourned in their culture over death. Here it says, apparently, there are not enough professional mourners that they decided to go out to the fields and call the farmers, come and weep with us. They went to the vineyards, places where it was to be an image of plenty and wine flowing. This is the blessing of God. They were to go into the vineyards and weep and wail. The things that we thought were our prosperity are failing and falling in front of us. Our God is coming and no one can escape. It is a grave day. And he says that this day of the Lord will be full of a danger that is real. And for a man who took care of sheep, this is not conjecture. This is real life. He said it's as if a man gets away from a lion only to run into a bear. And after he gets away from the bear, he runs into his own home that had been hewn with stone, puts his hand on the wall, and gets bitten by a serpent in his own place of security. Where do you run to if snakes are biting you at home? There's nowhere else to go. It says that when the day of the Lord comes, that people will run to the mountains trying to get away, to get away from the living God. Self-deception in Israel was real. They thought the day of the Lord was for them. Surely we won't be judged. But they were interested only in one thing, in their self-deception, unacceptable worship before the living God in verses 21 to 23. And God says to them, in the strongest language he could use, I hate, I despise yours. And notice, in every phrase in this section, in verse 21 to 23, he says, I hate your feasts. They're not mine. Your sacred assemblies, you might say your conferences or your special gatherings. I don't like your sacrifices or your offerings and your songs I am banishing away from my presence. I don't want to hear it. Now some might say, well preacher, seems like you're telling us we don't have to come to church. God doesn't want worship. And that's not what I'm telling you. What Amos is telling God's people is, they have gotten so wrapped up in their own programs, they have mistaken self-satisfaction and self-approval with God's, and he says, "I will not accept it. I will not." You might say, "Well, you know, this doesn't seem like what some preachers I've heard say before." Some people talk about when the when the last days come that the churches will be empty, but attendance here seems good. It was consistent. There are people there. They have enough people to make music and be creative and and think through what their services would be like. Bethel was a perfect representation in terms of the meticulous details of what Jerusalem was. It was as if they had taken a carbon copy and laid it in Bethel. You might say, well, with all that attention to detail, why was God not pleased? Creativity is alive and well. Why would God not accept their worship? Because it was a sham. It was nothing more than a veneer. A mask even. They were fakes. And there was nothing in their heart that said as they served before God, I'm doing this as unto the Lord. They were doing it as unto themselves. They thought, we're the greatest. Remember, their rose-colored glasses said, the way I see the world is what it looks like and does for me. And that's the measure of how I think something is acceptable or not. And it doesn't matter what category you want to talk about. It was worship. It was the way they fellowshiped, the way they did their jobs. If I look good, everything must be good. They were more Canaanite in Israel in this time than the Canaanites were. For the Canaanites who lived in this region, their religion was this. If you placate the gods, if you do the sacrifices they require, if you bring the right amount and you weigh it out perfectly and you observe everything that the gods want you to do, you can live how you want to the rest of your life. And this is how Israel thought. I can live this way. I'll give God Sunday or Saturday. Sure. I'll give offerings. We'll attend the feasts. We'll come at Christmas and Easter. We'll come at the special times. Surely. And if I maybe this past year I messed up, I'll add another one. I can throw another one in. God will certainly accept that. We'll do what God requires to the letter. I will serve Him. But I'm going to keep this back on the side over here because I like it and it feels good. After all, I'm what matters. That's the lies that were in their hearts. They had all sorts of programs in Israel at this time. But no passion for God himself. They were looking to make decisions for God, but no discipleship in their lives. They can say with a straight face, I belong to God and he requires nothing of me. He accepts me as I am after all. They believed in heaven without holiness. God will let us in. They were so wrapped up in themselves that repentance and humility and seeking the forgiveness of Almighty God were a foreign language. It was like trying to speak Greek to someone and you didn't know it. To admit, I have sinned against a holy God. To say my words were harsh to my spouse or to my neighbor. Or that my opinion is just that my opinion and not the law. It was foreign to them. Or to look at a neighbor and say, I actually owe them love. It was too much. The self-deception in Israel was real. Lastly, number three, they were totally overrun with presumptuous sins. You still have your Bible open. Turn over to Psalms. Go to chapter 19, verses 12 and 13. David here writes, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. I want to think about this idea for just a moment. Presumptuous sins. They're like idols. The idols that Israel thought they could bring into Bethel, into the temple, where they said, we are worshiping God. That's what Sunday is. We are worshiping the Lord. I came in, I went through the door, I had a smile on my face, I even held the hymnal today. And I mouthed the words. I did what God required. But then they would set right beside them an idol and say it's okay i'm worshipping god this way but i like this and it feels comfortable and so i'm going to keep this idols are like liars liars about god and about sin and in this particular case time was not on their side it was an enemy because at the time that god spoke through amos it was all it was only going to be 40 years before god's people were taken away beyond Damascus, into Assyria. And he's telling them 40 years before it happens, a generation before it happens, you are already done. How many of us think, I will fight for righteousness one day? What would you think if someone came and told you, you're already done? Judgment is coming. Time was their enemy. It's directly related to how they viewed and handled God's Word and treated other people. Our carelessness leads to callousness and further grows to arrogance and mistreatment of our neighbor. Do you see the progression? I can start setting aside God's Word And the moment that I do that, my heart begins to crust over. As my heart crusts over, I grow in my arrogance and callousness towards God and to his word. I hear his commandments and I set them aside. And as I set them aside, I am less human and I love other people less. And I grow in arrogance towards them. They were dead men walking and they didn't know it. Not only did the psalmist here believe that it was possible for him to be swayed by presumptuous sins, he believed as a believer that it was possible for him to suffer under the weight and bondage of them. Calvin says this, that unless God restrains us, our own hearts as believers will violently boil with a proud and insolent contempt of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you live on the edge of that today? That unless God restrains you by His gracious Holy Spirit, you will boil with violent contempt for God and for His words. And there's maybe a question to ask. Is every sin this way? He seems to be talking about a couple different things. Things that that maybe we kind of fall into. Are any of you clumsy? And, And so you easily get hurt you go out to do something and you always come back with an injury. What happened today? You know? It seems like there's some of that in this. Maybe they just kind of fell into it. But then there's another side that's much more sinister. And we should be so much more careful about this. These are not sins that took them by surprise, at least according to the psalmist. They were fully intentional with their eyes wide open. And a heart that says, I know God says this is wrong. I know God's Word calls this sin and I believe that it says it's harmful. But I just don't care what God thinks and I'm going to do it anyway. And maybe you wouldn't say it that way with those words, but you do it by simply setting His Word aside. Well, I got used to it. It's been two weeks, a year, it's been five years. God hasn't judged me yet. Why are you so upset about it, creature? Time was their enemy. And notice, it doesn't seem like in the text they were fighting this at all. So I want to ask you this morning, how do we fight The presumptuous nature of human hearts that say, I can sin and still be right with God. How do you fight that? I want to give you two ways. Preachers are sometimes good with diagnosing and terrible at helping people. I admit that. James chapter 5. This might seem too simple. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Are you living in unrepentant sin? You should confess your sin to the Lord. But James says there is power and healing in the body of Christ when we name our sins in His presence. Have you sinned against a brother or sister? Dear believer, beloved, go to your brother. Or sister, confess your sins and in humility say, Pray for me. It is hard to hate someone that you pray for. It's easy to hate someone you refuse to even talk to. I told you I'd give you two things. The other one is I wonder if Israel. As a whole, believed that they needed to cry out to God for strength. Here it says, the psalmist gives you the pattern. He says, Cleanse me from secret thoughts, keep back your servant. This is a prayer. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Oh God, give me strength not to sit in your presence and not even care. Help me. Deliver me, that I might love you more than this thing. Let me ask you, why should you do this? I'm talking about Israel today. Amos chapter 5, why should you do it? Because we all have the propensity to do it. Why should you and I pray for strength to not sin against God, for healing and protection, and pray that for our children and for our neighbors and our brothers and sisters in Christ? Because it is our only hope. The grace of God in your life and in mine is our only hope. One of the cancers in Israel was they said, My relationship with Jesus is private. I can go to worship and offer him sacrifices, I can pray to him in my home but it doesn't have to touch anything about how I live with other people. My relationship with Jesus is private. And what Amos was telling them is, your relationship with Jesus may be personal and intimate, but a real relationship with Jesus absolutely flows out of your heart and into your life, and it can't help but get on to your neighbor's if it is a real relationship with Jesus, let justice roll down like water
1: and righteousness
0: like a never-ending stream. Let us pray. Oh God, I pray for Your people. Burdened and laid down as I am, as a man with my own sins, I pray for Your people and for myself. That you would be gracious, O God, and pour out your Spirit upon us. That we would turn our hearts and call upon your name and be cleansed and refreshed and renewed in your presence. I pray for my dear brothers and sisters in this room and for others who are not here today. That as a church, as your people, that you would leave us unsettled if we believe we can live in sin and still be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. Heal our hearts, Lord. We are broken. Apart from Your grace, we will not seek after You. So we cry out to You for grace and mercy. And we plead the blood of Jesus that You might heal us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord now and respond to God's word by singing, Approach My Soul, the Mercy Seat, hymn number 507. take an offering to the glory of God. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you that we may stop and give thanks to you in this service of worship for your rich blessings that you have poured out in abundance upon each of our families and on this church. Lord, we pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings as a a resource in your kingdom to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation for sinners. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to have your hand upon us in our homes, that we would look to you to provide the resources we need. And may we continue to be faithful to you. Help us, Lord, where we lack faith, even in this particular area. Help us to be cheerful givers who look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Of our Lord. Now may the Lord, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and rich in steadfast love and mercy, keep you from despair in all of your troubles and keep you from idolatry in all of your joys. Amen. <laughs>